0: For some time I've wondered if uh, someone came up to me that really didn't know Jesus and I had a chance to tell someone about Jesus, someone who maybe never really heard about Jesus or considered Jesus, And uh, what would I tell them? Well, I didn't have to wait very long to have that opportunity while teaching in prison a week ago. One of the men said, Why Jesus? Why not someone else? Well, in rethinking that, and I did give him an answer, and part of that is today's message. What would I want them to know about this man? And I use this word man with an asterisk because Jesus is more than a man. But what would I want them to know about this man whom I devoted my life to following? The more I thought about it, I wondered also what I would say to believers, those who've made a commitment to following Christ, but have not yet learned all about him and the details of his life, his nature, his character, his purpose for his people. What would they need to know about Jesus in order to follow him more faithfully? See, most people who have been to church know at least a little bit about Jesus' life and ministry. But the problem is that we tend to view him today through such a modern filter that, if we were to come face to face with this first century Jewish rabbi carpenter from a small town in Galilee, We might not recognize him. Back in the Middle Ages, and especially during the Renaissance, when artists would paint a picture of a biblical scene, they had no idea how to accurately portray life in ancient times, specifically in terms of fashion or architecture. So they tended to paint biblical characters and locations in a way that looked very much like 14th, 15th, or 16th century Italy or France or Germany. We tend to do the same thing today when we think about biblical characters, especially Jesus. We often see him through the filter of who we are, as one fitting into our mold and being one of us. As I grew up in the 60s, I guess like many people I was convinced, and I wasn't the only one so convinced that Jesus was the prototypical hippie. You know, long hair, beard, sandals, talked a lot about love and peace, lived a nomadic lifestyle. Kind of sounds like a hippie, doesn't it? Today, we still have a tendency to try to make Jesus into our image, to put our own particular spin on who he is so that he fits into our own personal little niche. And he's been presented to us as a business leader in books like Jesus CEO or The Management Methods of Jesus. Some see him as a true-blooded red, white, and blue American, the ultimate Republican, or maybe the ultimate Democrat, and even others, former um, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, for example, kind of saw him as an ultimate socialist. Some portray him as a first century version of Mr. Rogers, others maybe a first century Chuck Norris. And of course, all churches portray him as one who would be right at home in their congregation and would be an enthusiastic supporter of their style of worship and ministry. We've seen Jesus through the filter of ourselves for so long that at times we've run the risk of missing a very important point point is this, it's not for us to spin Jesus into our likeness. It's for you and me to conform ourselves into his likeness. Now, in order to do this, we need to know him as he's revealed to us in Scripture. The good news is that the Bible paints a very detailed and very complete picture of who Jesus is and what he's like. What we discover as we read about him in the Gospels and the entire biblical narrative is that many times he is not at all what we might expect him to be. He's full of surprises. But if you'll spend time with him, you'll get to know him very well, even as you know your best friend. For this reason, we'll spend a couple of weeks, um, as I bring some messages to you, examining closely the person of Jesus. And I want to go a little deeper than just the stories we all learned at vacation Bible school or Sunday school or deeper than the parables we've heard preached from time to time, so that we can not only know about him, but so that we can truly know him. As we learn about who he was and who he is, we'll also have the chance to think about who we need to become, how we can become more faithful followers of our Lord. Today in my first message, I want to talk about who this man, I'm going to put a little asterisk by that word man, that we should follow him. Now what makes him different than any other religious leader? Why does he deserve our devotion? Well, there are three things about Jesus that I want us to consider today. The first <clears throat> is this: that Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh, the eternal God, not an angel, not pre-existent supernatural being, not merely a god. He is the God, the eternal God. Jesus has always existed and will always exist. John one one says, "In the beginning was the Word." Well, the Greek word for word is logos. John is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus and God the Father as well as the Holy Spirit are one, one God, each uniquely identifiable, yet one in nature. This is what we're referring to when we say that we believe in the Trinity, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not a simple concept to understand, but then it only stands to reason that the nature of God would be something beyond our ability to comprehend. If we could break down and decipher God like a mechanic breaks down the carburetor on a 1962 Chevy Impala Supersport, for example, that was one of my favorite cars that I ever owned, then he would be a very small, very limited God. But God is not small, not at all. Our God is great, far beyond our ability to comprehend, and he always will be. But we can, at least, begin to understand some aspects of his nature uh, and character. What has been revealed to us is that Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He has always existed and will always exist. Later in the Gospel of John, when Jesus was debating with some religious leaders, he made the comment that Abraham rejoiced to see him, that's Jesus, coming into the world. The religious leaders said, in effect, oh, come on, you're not even 50 years old, and you claim to seem, have seen Abraham, who lived 2,000 years ago? And Jesus responded to the Pharisees by saying, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Well, they immediately understood what he was saying. I mean, this phrase, I am, goes back to the book of Exodus. It's the name by which God calls himself when he's talking to Moses on Mount Sinai. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, he was saying, in effect, I've always existed. I'm I'm eternal. I'm God. The Bible says that after Jesus said this, the religious leaders picked up stones to stone him to death. Why? Well, it's because he said he was God, and it would be blasphemy if what he said wasn't true. And that's why I want to remind you right off the bat that we really don't have the option of saying that Jesus was just a good man or a good teacher. Jesus never claimed to be just a good man or just a good teacher. He claimed to be God. And a person who claims to be God, as C.S. Lewis' trilemma goes, is either a lunatic or a liar, or he really is who he says he is. It's one of the three. It can't be a little bit of the three. Jesus claimed to be God, and as we come to know him, we need to know him on his terms, based on who he claims he is and who the Bible claims that he is. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, Paul wrote, He is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things were created by him and for him. Now consider that phrase, by him and for him. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the creator of the universe. Everything we see was made by Jesus, this carpenter from Galilee, and everything we see was made not only by him, but for him. The book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11 says, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Well, we begin our journey into knowing Jesus by understanding, first of all, that he is God, the eternal God, the creator of all that exists, and the reason for all that exists. Whether a person believes that or not, they need to know that any study of Jesus will ultimately lead in this direction. That he's not just a good teacher. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, the fact is that most Christians don't have a problem with this belief. They accept it without question. It's the next part of the equation that Christians sometimes struggle with. The second thing we need to understand, then, is that Jesus is a man. Now, I'm saying that the Jesus that we encounter in the Gospels is human, fully human. Now, many people are okay with the idea that Jesus is eternal. It's easy for them to accept the idea was that he was not really one of us, as the early Gnostics taught. They think, instead, that he floated his way through his life on earth in an otherworldly, ethereal sort of way. But again, that's not what the Bible teaches. The challenge for many people is in accepting the idea that Jesus was, in every way, fully human as he walked this earth and lived among us. He was man. Now earlier I added an asterisk to that description because it's true that he was more than a man. But we need to understand that he was never less than a man. He was never less than fully human. He was neither a ghost nor an angelic being walking around in a heavenly body that merely appeared to be real. He was fully human. When he was hungry, he ate. When he was tired, he yawned, and then he went to sleep. When he was working in the carpenter shop, if he breathed a little too much dust in the air, I'm sure he sneezed. When he was handling rough wood, he got a splitter in his hands. When he cut himself, he bled. When he was young, he learned how to walk and how to talk and how to use the tools of a carpenter. In the synagogue, he learned the scriptures, the very scriptures he had inspired to be written. Just as in school he learned the rules of grammar and conduct and everything else that a person must learn. That's why the Bible says that during his life, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And it's also why the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. That's in Hebrews 5.8. Did you catch that? He learned obedience. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We need to realize that Jesus was not Clark Kent where the bullets just bounced off his chest even when he was wearing his earthly disguise. He was a man, as fully human as he could be. For since death came through man, and Paul's talking about Adam here in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-one, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Paul refers to Jesus in this text as a man in other places um, as we saw earlier paul refers to jesus as the eternal god that's because he was fully both jesus also made this clear when he talked about who he is do you know by the way the name he most often called himself it's son of man 79 times in the gospel he refers to himself as the son of man Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Or How about Matthew 16.27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels. Or John 1.51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, I could give you 75 more examples if you want, but let's move on. You know, books have been written about what this term son of man means. At the very least, it means that he is, like we are, descendants of Adam. In other words, it means that he is, like we are, fully human. He's not Superman in a Clark Kent costume. He's a real, living, breathing human man, a man subject to being human. There's another verse that we've all heard that we sometimes have a hard time believing. It can be completely true. The verse is found in Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, Christians can easily believe the without sin part But we often struggle with the idea that he really was tempted in every way just as we are. Because we know how ugly temptation can be. Jesus was tempted just as we are. The difference is that he never yielded to temptation. But he was tempted nonetheless because he was a man. Fully human. Subject to being fully human. This is an important aspect of understanding who Jesus is. Because in order for him to be the savior that we need. We need him to be both. We can't save ourselves. We need God's help. It's obvious that we can't save ourselves. I mean, you only have to look around. For example, we have the resources to take care of everyone on the planet. Uh, There need not be poverty or hunger or rampant disease or war. We could experience global peace and prosperity. Now, we could, but we can't because we're a broken people, a fallen race, and we cannot save ourselves. We need God's help. That's why God sent his Son to this world, as John 3.17 says, not to condemn the world, that the world might through him be saved. This brings me to the third thing I want you to see about Jesus. He came to give everyone the opportunity to be fully alive. One of his most famous sayings is found in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, as I see it, there are two ways that we experience this abundant life that he promised to all people. One is that we follow the example that he gave us to live by, because he gave us a perfect example to follow. In Jesus, we see what it means to be fully surrendered to God. This is why it's so important to understand that he became one of us. Because in his life, we see what the human life should be. Because he showed us in his life, in his worship, in his submission to the will of God, in his compassion towards others, in the way he responds to insults and mistreatment, in the way he shows mercy, and on and on. When we read the stories of Jesus, we see this is what we're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. This is what men and women were designed to do and created to be. When we pattern our lives after his example, we become fully alive. But before you can fully follow his example, there's another step you need to take. You need to receive him as your Lord and Savior. You need to be made alive spiritually. Jesus said to Nicodemus, John 3, 7, you must be born again. That means that the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of you. He becomes what I've always called the resident president. Now, following Jesus is more than accepting a new philosophy or ideology. It's about having a genuine one-on-one personal encounter with the living God, the God who has made himself known to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're listening today and you haven't experienced this already, you can begin a new life anytime you want. You can do it right now. You can do it tomorrow evening. You can do it next week or even in the last week that I'm going to go through this series of messages. Now, obviously, I'd say the sooner the better, because knowing Jesus does give you a life more abundant and more meaningful than you could ever imagine. This really is the goal, friends, of what I'm going to talk about for the next few weeks, that by learning more about him, those who've never known him before, as well as those who feel like they have never known him well, can come to know him like you know your best friend. This should be the goal of every believer. You know, after many years of following Jesus, as Paul sat in a Roman prison facing death, Paul wrote about what really matters to him. He says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead, to know him and become like him. This friend should be the goal of all who come to Jesus. It's not for us to spin Jesus into our likeness, but to conform ourselves into his likeness, to know him as he is made known to us in the biblical narrative. For this reason, here's what I encourage you to do for the next number of weeks and really for the rest of your life. You know, begin each day with a few minutes alone with Jesus and the Gospels. I mean, sit down in your most comfortable chair, maybe a cup of coffee or whatever, and and read for five or ten minutes from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Pick a gospel and just work your way through it one story at a time. Throughout the day, you'll have a chance to think about what you read. And over the course of these messages, the things that we talk about on Sundays, and the stories that you read in the Gospels, you will not only know more about him, you will know him more and more. And the more you know him, the more you can become like him. May God bless us all in that pursuit. Until next week, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.